Welcome to today's conversation in our Collaborative Transformation podcast series, Driving the Deal, focused on private equity investments in healthcare and life sciences. My name is Chris Borling. I'm a transactions lawyer focused on healthcare and life science deals and serve as co-chair of McDermott's global private equity practice. In this podcast series, I'm excited to bring you perspectives from McDermott's healthcare private equity partners, clients, and business associates on the trends, challenges, and opportunities they are seeing in the healthcare and life sciences sectors. We continue to see a very brisk transaction market in healthcare and life sciences as we move into the middle of the first quarter of 2021. And it's important for us on the podcast to bring you perspectives not only from equity investors and regulatory perspectives, but also from lenders who are active in the space. So joining us today is Trisha Lebo. Trisha is a managing director at Citizens Bank, where she focuses on capital market transactions in the healthcare sector. Trisha joins us today to talk through the state of the debt markets, pricing, and various subsectors in which she's seeing activity. Trisha, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Well, why don't we start by uh, hearing a little bit about your background and how you came to Citizens Bank? Sure. As you said, my name is Trisha Lebo. I'm a managing director in Citizens Bank and their debt capital markets group. I work with the healthcare business and helping to support that. I've been at Citizens for about 10 years now. And I came here to help build out the, the debt capital markets business about 10 years ago when that was getting started at Citizens. And we recognized that there was a, a real opportunity for us to, to build our franchise within that business. Previously, I'd worked at a few other institutions, always being in the banking industry. I was at Bank of America right out of school and had gone to New Star Financial, which is a small shop in, uh, was a small shop in, in Boston. It's since been acquired, but uh, spent some years there as well. So been in banking my, my whole career. Um, and excited to to be in this role with citizens and then helping to build out the the capital markets franchise. And I think from the kind of consumer perspective, many of us think of citizens as a northeast focused bank, but your team, I presume, has national coverage. Yes, we are a national business. Uh, so we cover the entire nation, healthcare companies throughout the country, both on the corporate side as well as the sponsor owned side. So we have quite a bit of private equity-backed businesses in our portfolio, as well as you know large public companies, smaller privately-owned companies, et cetera. Great. And while you've um, been at Citizens, you've seen the, the debt markets evolve a little bit in that the last five to 10 years has seen enormous growth of kind of the non-bank lender set. And how, how does Citizens you know, offering compared to some of the non-bank lenders that have become very active in, in healthcare. Yeah, absolutely. We see a lot of what we call the direct lenders or the unitronch lenders coming into the market, which has been a relatively new phenomenon over the past, call it, you know, five or six years. We've seen that continue to increase. We do certainly compete against those lenders, but I think we offer at Citizens a much more fulsome offering to clients. Really, it's sort of the full life cycle of, of products. You know, we aren't just a debt capital provider. We also provide other services, whether it's M&A, ideas, you know, the corporate finance background, as well as the ability to syndicate transactions once a company has gone above and beyond sort of the size that a, a direct lender or unitronch provider might be able to, to service. So we are able to use our you know, very skilled desk to sell 
transactions in the syndicated market and be much more active on the, the high yield side, et cetera, as the company grows. So I'd like to think of us as more of a, a full life cycle provider to companies. We can work with you when you're small, but we're also you know, capable of working with you as you continue to grow and, and get quite large. And does that attract companies of a certain enterprise value or tell us about the range of... So, I mean, what I would say is, is our target is typically a company with EBITDA of $20 million or greater, because that's, that's really where we can be most relevant in helping companies to get the financing needs and solve for their financing needs over time. From an enterprise value, it really depends on, on what industry we're talking about and you know subsectors within that industry and where those multiples are. So we think of it a lot more on a, on a revenue and EBITDA standpoint. Um, but as a company grows beyond that 20, we're 20 million of EBITDA, we are certainly able to, to work with them to provide you know, a variety of different solutions, whether it's in the bank market, the institutional term loan market, you know, high yield market, et cetera. And I know within healthcare, you've been extremely active lately. What are some of the sectors that you're, you're seeing the most activity in? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We've been extremely active. I think the entire market has been very active. But what's been interesting, especially since the, the turn of the new year, is that the healthcare sector in particular has been very active. And what we're seeing a lot of transactions are in home medical equipment. It's in physician practice management. A lot of the services, healthcare services, are out in the market raising new capital to support M&A transactions. In some instances, it's more opportunistic transactions, whether you know refinancings, repricings. We've seen a huge wave of repricings recently. I mean, at Citizens, we've been active in all of those type of transactions for our healthcare clients. And from my outside perspective, the kind of pandemic impact during the second quarter in particular of 2020 might make a bank, you know, kind of a little bit concerned about the impact of uh, the pandemic and specifically some of the stay-at-home orders on on volumes of, of services that healthcare providers can provide, access to patients, some of those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it almost seems a little bit the opposite of what I would expect right now. Right. What do you think is driving some of the opportunities you're seeing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we certainly saw a slowdown in Q2. I think the entire market did. And healthcare providers in particular also saw, you know, reduction in encounters, et cetera, which impacted really their ability to, you know, think about financings or MA or what have you. But we really have seen a rebound of that since Q2. I think a lot of it is being driven by the fact that everyone has figured out how to live in this new world or is starting to at least figure out how to live in this new world and how to adjust, whether it's because we've seen a boost in telemedicine, helping to drive you know, patients back into the doctor's offices, the dentist's offices, the ophthalmologist's offices, et cetera. We're seeing that pick up back in that, that uh, physician practice management space. On the home medical equipment space sector, we're seeing you know, a lot of demand increasing as more and more patients are going home more quickly from hospitals, et cetera, are choosing to be home from hospitals, et cetera, but still need to be serviced. And, and you're seeing the benefit of the HME space you know, increasing demand, home health, seeing, you know, increasing demand as those similar attributes are driving that. But I think overall, the the sense healthcare, you know, wide is that we are starting to really come back from that initial impact of COVID and people are learning to live within it. And regardless, people are going to need, you know, health services and health products 
that's never going to change. And in fact, COVID is driving in some instances more demand for that. So we've seen, you know, quite a bit of strength in the healthcare space. I assume the second quarter and third quarter of last year was busy, not from a new loan origination perspective, but from the perspective of working with clients and addressing the impact of the pandemic on their revenue, uh, patient throughput, and some of, at the end of the day, their covenants that they have in loan documents with citizens. Could you tell me a little bit about what that was like and how you approach that with, with your clients? Sure, absolutely. Q2 and Q3 of, of last year certainly weren't very active on the new issue front, but we were very active and having discussions with clients about you know their forecasts, details in their forecasts and what they were assuming because it was so uncertain at those times and you know what kind of flexibility might be required so that they could operate through it. So during that period of time, we did see a lot of amendments come through, some of them necessary and some of them really more proactive on the side of, of the issuers as they were looking to really create some flexibility within their, their credit agreements, you know, bumping out covenants or, or you know, baskets, et cetera, so that they would have the flexibility to make it through that uncertain period. I and mean, we saw generally that lenders and investors were quite receptive to those type of, of amendments and, and working with their clients to provide that flexibility and, and all sort of get out to the other side, you know, in a good shape. Well, you mentioned that the market has been very busy in physician practice management. I know that uh, Citizens uh, was involved in an interesting consolidation transaction of two practice management platforms with the National Spine and Pain combination with Prospera last year. We're seeing that kind of trend of combining two physician practice management platforms as, as something that a lot of different investors are looking at those opportunities within practice management. As you kind of went through that process with that transaction, and I assume you're looking at a couple others, from the lender perspective, what are some of the important things that the investors and management team should think about as they're trying to kind of position a consolidated group of, of two or more platforms for, for a new facility? Yeah, I think first and foremost, the investors are focused on what that investment strategy is. You know, building the scale out and building it out quickly as, as a company does by putting two, you know, meaningfully sized companies together. How does that scale benefit the overall investment strategy, the overall business strategy and, and, you know, create, you know, increased growth opportunities. That's first and foremost. Secondly, anytime you're putting two businesses together, you're going to run into questions and, and, you know, concerns around the synergies around putting that transaction together. What are those synergies that need to be achieved in order to make this, you know, the, the transaction that's being presented? And what are the, you know, milestones that will be met over the integration period that are really the, the checkpoints to make sure things are going well? Investors are really digging into those integration milestones and synergies, largely because we're also being asked to commit to them from an EBITDA standpoint. They are being included as EBITDA addbacks. So understanding the, the details of, of those synergies is important. And in particular, to the extent a third-party report or some sort of third-party analysis of such synergy addbacks is being completed, that really helps investors to be able to buy into the addbacks themselves as well as the overall timeline. 
what they want to see is is that those those add backs, those synergies are becoming real, you know, relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. I know a big piece of consolidating physician practice platforms is the concept of kind of shifting onto different payer contracts Mm -hmm. as well. Do you see management teams kind of creating a story around enhanced reimbursement that can be achieved through a consolidation? Absolutely. We're seeing that in a lot of cases, especially in the physician practice management uh, space, where the expectation is that the you know typically smaller company will be moved on to the typically larger companies' contracts and see just sort of an immediate bump. So that is absolutely something we're seeing. And I think lenders are receptive to it so long as there's you know details provided behind it. Again, if a third-party report confirming it or, you know, providing some color behind it is available, that helps. And also if a company has a track record of having done it previously, you know, we've we've acquired X, Y, and Z companies and been able to transfer 90% of their contracts onto our contracts. Certainly that track record helps to build some confidence in the ability to do it going forward and thus comfortableness around being able to add those back to EBITDA kind of in a realistic way. Yeah, that makes sense. I think we're going to see, you know, a number of additional consolidation transactions come out in 2021. You know, some of them will be lender driven because some of the practice management platforms out there are not, you know, doing as well post pandemic and may have, you know, issues from a cash flow perspective and lenders are kind of kind of driving and pushing for an exit there, frankly. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it goes back again to scale being so important because I think a lot of those businesses that you're talking to tend to be on the smaller end. And when you can combine them together to make something larger, it often helps from a contract perspective and from an overall you know, operating expense perspective to drive some of those synergies. Yeah. So you mentioned the home medical equipment space. Mm-hmm. That, that's an area where we haven't seen transactions for a number of years now, what's changed? A lot has changed in that space. I think for a while it was, you know, not a very active space that we saw a ton of activity out of. However, back in Q4, some updates on competitive bidding came through. The update really being that there's not much of an update. It's getting largely just pushed out for three years before reimbursement will be sort of touched again, which gave investors a lot of confidence that the the business will be stable for a period of time. When competitive bidding remained up in the air and people weren't sure what the the ultimate decree was, that uncertainty created um, some backing off of you know, being too active. But now that the competitive bidding has come out with their updates, I think that has allowed investors, again, to, to feel that stability. And thus, we've begun to see a lot more um, on the transaction base, you know, M&A transactions, um, other refinancings and, and opportunistic transactions in the debt space. But it's been a very active sector over the course of the past, you know, three or four months. For sponsor-backed HME companies, what's kind of the investment thesis? Is it pure consolidation play or what are you hearing? Certainly there's a lot of consolidation opportunity. I think this is another business, another sector where scale is very important because the complexities of of running an HME business, billing for HME, et cetera, continues to increase and there's value in scale. So it's certainly a roll-up type strategy that we're seeing with a lot of these players. And then there's also some of these larger transactions that can achieve, you know, sort of amped up growth as well. But overall, I think it's also a, a good cash flowing business. And the, the 
historically it's had very big capex requirements which has impacted free cash flow of these type of businesses but i think as we continue to move towards more of a you know telemedicine type society and we're more accepting of that some of the shifts in diversifying the product base that hme companies provide it's helping to really drive improved free cash flows as well and when you from a lender perspective look at a loan that will support a roll-up Mm-hmm. What are some of the first few things that kind of come to mind that are on your diligence checklist? Yeah, I think we're always focused on the track record of the company having been able to successfully execute a roll-up strategy historically or other acquisitions historically, because that integration risk becomes very astute when you're starting to acquire, 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 acquire. So that's certainly a key focus understanding you know what those synergies might look like and what some of the assumptions around what these rollups now on this new platform this new larger platform look like is going to be an important component understanding the overall trends in the industry or that particular subsector the particular market that they're serving is really going to be important to drive a better understanding of the value of of having this continuously uh, inorganically growing company. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, what is the organic growth? If, if these roll-ups were to slow down or shut down, what does the base business look like? And is that still growing at some level on an organic basis? Those are some of the important factors that we look into. So just kind of zooming back out to a macro level here, you know, what are some of the things that you're talking to clients about right now? What's ahead and what should they be thinking about as they consider debt on their on their company or on some of their portfolio companies. Absolutely. We are seeing, we're out talking to clients, you know, all the time right now about just how strong the, the debt markets are. We are seeing, you know, increasing leverage uh, capacity within the debt markets. We're seeing, you know, pricing continuing to, to really skinny down. It's really a great time to be out in the market. And we're seeing that with all the different executions that have come over the course of the past, you know, seven weeks since the turn of, of the new year. We are out talking to clients about the, there's really a window opportunity today that perhaps that window begins to close at some point. And, and when that is and what that looks like, we don't know. But certainly with, you know, in uncertainties around COVID, you've got a new administration and some of the changes that they're making to, you know, fiscal policies, et cetera. Right now is a great time uh, to think about financings, refinancings, acquisition financings, et cetera, because we do know that the window is open. What uh, I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball (laughs) here, but what could be some things that kind of close off the window or or threaten some of these beneficial terms that borrowers are getting right now? Certainly. If we start to see some more inflation, that could impact overall you know, cost of debt and, and the the ultimate uh, margins that we're seeing compressed right now uh, could turn the other way. Any additional, you know, policies that come out around leverageability or, or really the the amount of, of debt that can be put on a company from a regulatory standpoint could potentially impact the market. The availability of, of cash overall in the market is an important component here, and that's really been driving some success. So if that cash starts to come down, I think that that would impact the overall receptivity of the market as well. I mean, I think for the past, you know, several months, years, we've had a lot of positive things driving this successful debt market. It's allowed us to come to this point where, you know, as I said, that it's, it's really quite an open market for new issuers and to come to market and think about uh, financings. But, you know, certain 
elements out there could could certainly start to slow that down. Sure. Yeah, it seems that it's kind of a uh, confluence of of beneficial factors that have right. a wide open window. Yeah. Well, Trisha, thank you so much for spending time with us today. We really sure. appreciate you uh, uh, talking to us. Where can our listeners uh, reach you and the citizens team? Sure. Yes, we uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or you can uh, reach me at my email, which is Trisha Lebo, T-R-I-C-I-A dot Lebo, L-E-B-O at citizensbank.com. And it was really a pleasure to, to join you today. And I'm uh, happy to, to have a talk. Thanks, Trisha. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. For more insight and analysis about healthcare private equity investments and today's changing healthcare and life sciences private equity transactions landscape, check out McDermott's Healthcare and Life Sciences News blog at healthcarelifesciencesnews.com. For even more on healthcare dealmaking from McDermott, register for our virtual HPE Miami conference held March 9th through 12th. We'll discuss the healthcare private equity trends and strategies you need to know for the year ahead. Learn more and reserve your spot at our website, mwe.com slash HPE Miami 2021. This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2021, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication, without the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.